Welcome to TGI, Tourism Geography Insights, the podcast of Tourism Geography's journal where we discuss our latest research and developments of our peer-reviewed journal which explores tourism and tourism-related areas of recreation and leisure studies from a geographic perspective. Kia ora tato. I'm Jamie Gillen, co-host of the Tourism Geographies podcast, brought to you by the journal Tourism Geographies, an international journal of tourism, space, place, and environment. And our aim in this platform and in the journal itself is to take scientific research on tourism and tourism geographies, engage with it, debate about it, and in this case, speak with an author about a recently published paper about their work. Today, I'm speaking with Neve Espiner, who is a management planner in the Department of Conservation in uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand. She's located in the South Island. The paper we're going to be talking about is one that was published in August of 2021 and will be uh, out soon in the new issue, a new issue of Tourism Geographies. We're speaking today on uh, the 10th of October, 2022. Neve is the lead author of a multi-authored paper called From Tents and Maps to Vans and Apps. Exploring Camping Mobilities. Welcome, Neve. Tēnā Jamie. Great to be here. Over the next few minutes, we're going to be talking to Neve about this paper. As a new entrant to New Zealand, I'm, I was read it with, with great interest, and it's about camping and, and tramping and enjoying the beautiful nature in New Zealand, especially in the South Island and in Aotearoa. So we'll proceed with a few questions, and Neve will be on hand answer. So first question to you, Neve, is what question or problem is this research and paper setting out to understand? Yeah, so camping is a really important, as you've said, it's a really important and a really popular part of culture here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. That's been shown in some Department of Conservation research showing that 80% of New Zealanders have been camping at some point in their life and 91% see it as extremely important or important to their daily lives. Uh, so it's really important to New Zealanders. It sort of represents this escape from modern life. It provides a variety of personal and social and health benefits. But at the same time, it's quite a practical option for travellers. You know, it's cheap. It can be quite flexible. You can stay close to attractions, that sort of thing. So it's sort of become this really popular activity, both for New Zealanders and for international tourists alike. So I became really interested in this topic, having grown up camping myself in New Zealand in the summer with my family, something which I was quite interested in. But at the same time, we were seeing these huge uh, headlines around the controversial nature of some types of camping in New Zealand. We had headlines talking about camping being out of control, freedom camping pests, um, angry communities demanding solutions, that sort of thing. So it was becoming this controversial issue uh, in the news. We were also seeing this huge increase in the number of tourists coming to New Zealand around the time that I was starting embarking on this research. However, there was very limited research looking at camping in New Zealand, particularly looking at camping from a mobilities perspective. A lot of the research at the time was focused on place attachment theories. So looking at how people connect with campgrounds, uh, specifically looking at how New Zealanders um, connect with campgrounds. So there was kind of this gap in the market and this huge controversial 
element in the news. So the question that we were looking at was how is camping perceived to have changed in New Zealand from the perspectives of those who are managing the camping uh, using mobility's concepts to frame the findings? Very cool. For listeners who are not in this beautiful country, we tend to spend a lot of time outdoors and much of our identity is framed around an outdoor spirit. And the, the natural beauty of the country is something that New Zealanders by and large are really interested in. So um, there's lots of debates about what kinds of tourists we want in the country, how we would like tourists to behave in the country and what we as New Zealanders feel most proud about in the country as well. So when Neve is talking about camping and place attachment, she's not just talking about tourism, but she's talking really about the essence of Aotearoa itself. Mm. That's what I really like about the paper. Can you tell us a little bit about the background and context of the work? Where did it come from? Uh, you, you mentioned that you were interested in it because you camped in New Zealand yourself. Where did this come from? How did this project come to pass? Yeah, sure. So this project started as my master's thesis. I was lucky enough to get a scholarship from the Lincoln University Center of Excellence for Sustainable Tourism for regions, landscapes and communities. And at the time, the Center of Excellence was quite interested in tourism and high amenity tourism destinations in New Zealand. There was a lot of work focused in the McKenzie district and the Waitaki district where I did my research. So it lined up quite well with that um, focus for the center. And yeah, it was quite a timely topic. As I said before, tourism was really what, what we didn't know at the time, but quite a, a, quite a peak for tourism in New Zealand um, to date, as well as camping, having those um, controversial headlines coming out. That's sort of where it stemmed from. Can you tell us a little bit about who the other co-authors are? Yeah, sure. So the other co-authors are my supervision team and primarily Emma Stewart was my primary supervisor. She's the second co-author and I had quite a large supervision team as you'll see. So uh, yeah, th those are the other co-authors. It's very oh. lucky to have such a supportive group. Very cool. Thank you. Third question is, can you briefly describe the theory and concepts that underpin this work and and I'm particularly attached to the framing that you use. So please share with our, our listeners. Sure. So uh, as I said uh, previously, a lot of the previous research on camping had used place-based theories, looking at place attachment, how people connect with campgrounds, uh, the emotional geographies um, it's been called between people and campgrounds. And while this is a really powerful lens for exploring some types of camping, so probably that sort of Kiwi summer camping that I was talking about before New Zealanders going camping in the summer. Yeah. Camping today is potentially a much more complex phenomenon. It's potentially less focused on place is what we were thinking at the time. Mm -hmm. And we could see that it was also a mobile, fun mobile phenomenon because it's sort of tied up with transport in terms of camper vans and caravans, and touring around the country, that sort of thing. We also found that in the literature on camping, references to mobile concepts had only really emerged in the last decade. So we could see that that was something which was sort of increasing. 
So for that reason, we decided to frame the research using mobilities theories. And mobilities is a framework for understanding the movement of people, things and ideas across time and space. Essentially, that's how I can summarize it. And the way I like to sort of uh, imagine that is that the relationship between mobilities and movement is similar to that between place and location. So while a location might be a point on a map or a set of coordinates, a place has meanings tied to it. It might be your home or it might be your school. It has experiences and emotions tied to it. So it's the same with mobilities and movement. So mobilities is all tied in with the meanings of that movement. Mm -hmm. It sort of allows us to understand movement as more than just a practical relocation from A to B and more recognises the contribution of transport to camping in this context. Wonderful. And I, I should also point out that reading your paper, the idea of the meaning behind the movement really came out very nicely in your paper. And I thought that was a significant contribution, particularly that was speed and rhythm, right? Were the two mm. parts of Cresswell's mobilities paradigm that, that uh, you and the author, other co-authors took. And I thought those really worked very nicely. What are the takeaways? This is the fourth question. What are the takeaways that listeners and readers of your paper should know? Yeah, so the main two points which came out of this research, the takeaways that readers uh, or listeners might want to know. First of all, we saw increasing movement of campers. That was a huge theme which came out of this research. And within this different increasing movement of campus, we saw different types of movement. So like you just mentioned, in terms of the rhythms of the movement and the durations of movement, differentiated the campus into multiple groups. And these groups of campus were given different names by different people that I talked to. I gave them, I classified them into three groups just for uh, clarity. But what was interesting was that those three groups all quite different in the way they needed to be managed but this wasn't really reflected in the camping bylaws or um, yeah there was sort of this clash between the mobility of campers and the different groups but also the bylaws um, under which they were managed across the two districts that I looked at so that was probably one of the main one of the main takeaways was that increasing movement of campers it's a huge way that camping is changing in New Zealand and then the other key change that I found out of this research was, which was slightly unexpected actually, was the increasing movement of information, particularly data around where people are camping and that sort of thing. So yeah, the, the movement of camping information was found to be moving with sort of increasing speed. So campers can communicate very quickly with one another through the internet through mobile camping applications where they can upload their review on a campground or they can place a point on a map and say this is a spot you can camp and that sort of clashes with how the camping was being managed at the time camping managers were really struggling to keep up with how quickly that information can move leading to sort of feelings of a loss of control over that um, information dissemination so those were the two kind of key findings I guess from applying the mobilities concepts to this phenomenon. Thanks, Neve. And, and the supply side of, of camping is something that, as you point out in the paper, is, is really under-researched, and I totally mm -hmm. agree. 
so some of those those quotes that you capture about the the, the managers of these camp sites their perspectives on the different types of people that come through and the different types of information that's shared are, are vital to our understandings of mobilities, uh, mm. leisure and tourism mobilities. Please tell us a little bit about those three categories of, of camper that you've created in, in, in the paper mm. that you've designated as, as kind of the three, the three categories that uh, the, it's a typology that I think really is one of the more fascinating takeaways from your paper. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. So when I set out to, to sort of frame my findings, I wasn't setting out to create a typology. I know that a lot of research before mine had already done that. So it wasn't necessarily something that I felt needed to be done again. However, as I said, the different people I talked to all talked about these particular groups and with different names. And just to make it, a, to clarify the results and sort of frame the results, I felt that it was, it was needed for this um, specific mm -hmm. Um, project. So I'm not sure that it would apply in different parts of New Zealand or different parts of the world. And I'm not sure if it would, you know, apply now, but at the time, these were the three groups that the managers were talking about. So the first one I called the basic budgeters, and that's essentially low cost campers. They're usually in cars or smaller vans, and they move quite frequently between campgrounds. The duration of movement is, yeah, quite fast. Yeah, the goal with these campers is they're usually trying to spend as little money as possible. And often the camping managers mentioned that these this group weren't self-contained, so they didn't have um, certain features like toilet or water on board. So it's a much more sort of simple type of sort of camper van, I guess. And then the second group was the self-sufficient spenders. And interestingly, this group moved similarly to your basic budgeters in terms of they moved quite frequently they were moving around quite quickly they would often just stay one night at each campground but despite the movement the duration and the speed being quite similar they were perceived quite differently based on a few factors so they were often in bigger vehicles they often had self-containment in terms of having those features I mentioned like toilet or water drinking water on board so they were tended to be managed quite differently to the basic budgeters despite the movement being similar and then the third group was the Kiwi classics is what I called them and that was your New Zealanders going camping over summer they'd probably be in a tent or a caravan there was a lot of talk about caravans mm -hmm. and they also despite seeming to be quite stable and staying in one place there was still a lot of movement actually described in how these uh, this group of campers were camping so often they would be moving back and forth between their home and the caravan throughout summer and I thought that was quite interesting because it's not really how you perceive that group of campers. For those listeners in the northern hemisphere we're approaching peak summer you know kiwi summer as they call it here so I'm thinking in my mind, you know, about all the different ways that these these categories are going to play out in this this new summer. Where even last year we were locked. This was we're now in late 2022. In 2021, we were all Auckland, at least where I live, is was was locked down and we couldn't travel and 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 do the kinds of Kiwi summer things that that everybody likes to do until much later into December. So um, I'm, you're you're tempting me to think about which category <laughs> I'd be in when I want to when I want to trek mm. down to the South Island. Mm. Now, the the last question is, what you know, what is the status of the 
this work now? So where are we now with the, the, the tourism managers that you spoke with, the camper managers? Where are you with your own research and your own interests? And, and where, where, where would you like this to kind of resonate in the future? Yeah, it's a really good question. So as you mentioned, we're in quite a different context, social context now mm -hmm. as than we were when I actually conducted this field work. We've seen a huge growth actually in New Zealanders camping during the border closures, uh, once we were of course out of lockdown, I assume. And really this could have ongoing impacts. We don't really know. This is the first summer we'll be going into where our borders will be open and New Zealanders can go overseas. We're also seeing international trends towards nature-based tourism, people wanting to connect with nature. So that could have implications for international tourists coming over to New Zealand this summer. And we're also seeing the potential for there to be a quite quick growth in tourism numbers in New Zealand. Um, and those sheer numbers were what led to this huge increase in camping in the first place in part. So I guess what I'm saying is we don't really know what mm -hmm. things are going to look like. What I can say is that in the mean between when I, this research was published and now we've seen some policy changes. So there's been some review of the Freedom Camping Act, which governs how people should camp outside of official campgrounds. So for example, they've strengthened, well, they've proposed to strengthen the self-containment certification as part of that policy change. So that could have implications in terms of how camping is managed across New Zealand. And I also know that different councils across the country have taken different approaches to how they might manage camping going forward. For example, I know the Waitaki District Council um, has camping rangers now who go around and give out information and sort of have that more mobile approach to camper information, I guess. Mm. And then in terms of the, the work and, and, and me, I would say it was, this work was quite formative for me in establishing my first steps into a professional career. So it's really opened the door for me uh, now working for the Department of Conservation and currently my work is focused in Auraki Mount Cook National Park. I've been looking at the campground there. So it's all really kind of opened that door up for me, which has been really cool. And yeah. That is really neat to hear. That is really neat to hear. The connection between the academic research and your and your job is one that we mm. don't often hear about. No. Um, and seeing the direct applicability and, and seeing one feed into the other and well, and they engage with each other is, is beautiful. Last question, mm. uh, kind of an off the hook question. How was the peer review process for you? How did how did you experience that? And what what how did you feel tourism geographies handled your paper and your your ideas? So it was my first experience with a peer review process. I had been sort of, I, I mean, I'd worked with a large supervision team throughout my research. So I was used to having a lot of different people commenting on the research. And I'd also been warned by my supervisors that it might be a lengthy process. It could be um, frustrating at times. But for me, I found that the peer review process was pretty smooth. Everything that was commented on strengthen the research hugely. Uh, it really made me have to um, refine some of the ideas and explain some of the reasoning a bit more. And actually, after going through that process, I felt that the paper was much stronger than 
my master's thesis and I wanted to go back and make some changes in that but obviously I couldn't it was too late for me it was a really positive process and I always feel that the more brains you can have on a piece of work the better and I think that um, really showed in the paper lovely and we did not we at tourism geographies did not set her up to say to respond in that way but thank you Neve. that's lovely and we hope other first-time authors that are exploring their work will consider tourism geographies because we hope we aim to have that kind of same experience with future future authors too and, and junior junior colleagues. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Neve. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us on Tourism Geographies podcast. For listeners, please check out Neve and Company's paper at Tourism Geographies, uh, which is hosted by Terrell and Francis, and she. Would be happy to engage with the paper. Uh, she would be happy to if you would engage with the paper. Her email address, her email address, if you'd like to hear more and talk to her about the uh, project, is n e s p i n e r at d o c dot g o v t dot n z. So she's Neve Espiner at n e s p i n e r at doc dot government dot n z doc.govt.nz. And please check us out on the Tourism Geographies podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as come hang out with us on Twitter at Tourism Journal. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks again, Neve, for taking the time to speak with us. Go to Jamie. Go to.